Hello and welcome to another episode of The Life Hack Show, a series of interviews with exciting people who have built successful careers and businesses by taking action and getting more out of each day, something we firmly believe in here at Lifehack. My name is Carl Pauline and I'm your host for this show. Today's guest is Connor Swenson. Connor runs an education company called Forgewell with his wife, Claire, that helps businesses transform their culture and achieve greater performance, engagement, and well-being across their workforce. He is a certified teacher of Make Time Search Inside Yourself and Adaptive Resilience, and he has taught these programs to the likes of Google, YouTube, L'Oreal, Klarna, and many other leading businesses. Thank you, Connor, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about your productivity journey and how you became interested in the subject? For sure. So I I began my, my working career uh, at Google in New York City way back when. And I kind of came into Google, I say sort of it, it, through the back door, a uh, very non-traditional hiring path. I got hired through this sort of volunteer program I was doing uh, in, in uni in New Orleans. And so when I, when I arrived, I, I felt like I was surrounded by these very like brilliant and ambitious people who seemed way smarter than I was. They had very fancy pedigrees from Stanford and you know the Harvard MBAs. And so I felt uh, I felt this imposter syndrome a little bit about if I if I belonged uh, at Google. And I think that is the first kind of step I took into the world of productivity because I I was asking myself like how am I going to you know compete and perform and stand out um, here. And so I sort of delved into a lot of uh, time management and productivity advice, and I got really efficient, really organized, really on top of my life, it felt. Um, but I started to have this sort of gnawing sense after a couple of years that I was getting like really, really good at just reacting to the world around me. And Google is an easy place to do that because there's just so much inbound, you know, emails and messages and meetings. And I got really good at replying and responding and reacting, but I felt like I wasn't kind of living up to what my potential could be, or I wasn't spending time on the things that really matter. Mm -hmm. And so I, I moved from New York to San Francisco and I was looking for some different ways to approach my life. And uh, I met the authors of, of the book, Make Time, Jake Knapp and John Zeratsky, and before the book, but they were kind of experimenting with, a, with some new ideas and new ways of, of approaching their days. And uh, I took some of those ideas. I started putting them into play in my own life, started slowing down a little bit, mm -hmm. having a bit more intentionality, a bit more purpose. Um, around that same time, I started to delve a little bit deeper into some sort of spiritual work and, uh, and all of that kind of came with me as I moved to London in 2016. And I sort of uh, had a, a totally new way of, of looking at my days. And I think a lot of the old productivity and time management advice, I, I saw the value in it, but I, I, I really appreciated what, what became the make time framework from Jake and John changed my, my journey and trajectory at Google led to some great promotions, amazing job opportunities there. And I was, I was running a, a partnerships team in um, near Middle East and Africa for Google. But I, I really wanted to share what I was learning. I was meeting people all over. They were having the same challenges that I was. People were super busy. They were stressed out. People were burning out. And so I left Google three years ago, just before the pandemic, to, to help share what I had, what I had been doing myself, um, sort of these simple practices for, for focus and, um, and productivity. So... At Google, because as you mentioned, Google, in my imagination, is always like a really fast-paced 
company. Like, I suppose I, I'm just reading a book at the moment. Of, I think it's called How Apple Lost Its Soul. And it's, uh. I don't know how much truth, I'm always skeptical on, on these kind of books. But one of the things that struck me as I'm reading the book is that the, the incredible speed and pace that things are happening inside the company. Things that, you know, as, a, as an iPhone user, I don't recognize. I just have a, an iPhone that I keep quiet most of the day. But, but what's going on inside that company is like a hive of activity. And you mentioned there that you, you learned that you needed to slow down. How do you slow down in a, a company where it, it, it I, I don't mean to be, like, I wouldn't want to be insulting to anyone working at Google or Apple, but it, it seems like worker ants just getting on with their work and fast, <laughs> as fast, as fast, as fast as they can. Um, but how do you stand out and slow down in that kind of environment? Yeah. In a, stand out in a positive way, because I can imagine slowing down, you could stand out in a negative way, but yeah, slowing yeah. down and, be, and making that a positive move. Yeah, and what you said, what comes to mind is this phrase that, that Cal Newport has been talking about, this sort of hyperactive hive mind, mm. um, which I think is a, an apt description of, of the culture in, in many sort of progressive and modern work organizations like Google, where it's just like frenetic activity all of the time. And I think a lot of it comes down to our defaults. And this is a concept that we really dive deep into with, with make time. And by defaults, I mean, just like, what are the normal ways that things operate? Like before you customize and configure something to your needs, like that's the default. And, you know, your phone comes with a bunch of defaults uh, when you buy it, but also a workplace like Google comes with a lot of defaults. And so the defaults for many people is, you know, they, they get to work and, you know, from the second they start work to the end of work, they have, you know, chat messages coming in nonstop. They're replying to emails while they're in meetings. You know, they're in back-to-back -back meetings. And they try to kind of fit their most important work in around, around the edges. Hmm. I was doing the same thing, right? I think we become addicted to it. Like, you get a little bit addicted to the speed. And sometimes it's really fun and fulfilling. And you're on a project with a really clear goal. And you have a great team. And it's just like you're, you're, you're sprinting towards it. But I think we lose something when we're kind of constantly in that, in that state. So... For me, it was just about changing some of those defaults. And so, you know, a simple thing I started to do was before I would open up my email inbox and my chat messages and, and before I would look at that sort of, because as soon as that, that Pandora's box was open, it's like, it's hard to resist. I would just, I would just skip that morning check-in and I would start my day with, you know, an hour, hour and a half, you know, it depends how busy the day is of, you know, some quiet focused work on something that was important to me, not something that was kind of screaming urgent, but something that I knew would um, was valuable for the team, was meaningful to me. And this is this idea that we talk about called kind of the daily highlight, like picking one thing that's going to be important to you and changing the default of, of, of starting the day kind of on the back foot. So mm. it's not, it's certainly not an easy thing to do. I think you're swimming upstream in many cultures, but I find, you know, even in a place like Google, you spend an hour, hour and a half a day of really focused work on something important to you. You make a lot of progress. It feels good people start to notice. And so then you get this sort of self-fulfilling, uh, it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but but it's it, it definitely is a reinforcing habit where it's like, you start to see the benefits of doing that. You feel better at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, the, you know, there's the, these were the early days when you could sort of, you were just able to kind of put away messages onto Gchat. Now there's a lot more customization in these sort of tools that I think are really important to like share with your team. I just saw uh, on Google Calendar um, uh, just earlier this year, if you type in, something like focus into the name of your calendar event or, you know, make time for writing. It actually, there's a focus mode. So you can actually start to signal these things. So I think, I think the workplace and the tools are catching up and allowing, you know, people to start to say, okay, you know, when is Carl going to be in focus mode? When do I know not to interrupt you? And then, um, you know, I think those things are the small practices that can make a huge difference. And, you know, you slow down at first, but you speed up in the long term. Mm -hmm. I think, 
that means we're going to have to retrain the managers. <laughs> managers, <laughs> managers have a bad... People I work with, I just discovered managers don't respect your focus block times. I keep getting that back from my clients once we set you know, a focus block time up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, yeah. But my manager, will, if, if I don't respond to the email in five minutes or I don't respond to the, the, the chat message in, in two minutes, they're knocking on the door or coming heading towards my, my desk. And I go, okay, okay, let's, 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 <laughs> we have to kind of reset things here. But actually yeah. one of the things I do is say, I usually say you have to educate your boss. And I, I got a classic story happened to me when I first came to Korea. I, I was obviously not aware of Korean culture or even Asian culture really at that stage. And uh, the chairman of our company, for some reason, took a liking to me. And uh, he called me one Saturday morning. And I looked at the phone. And I thought, I'm not answering that. I I'm coming from the UK. And back in the early 2000s, we did not answer the phone to work on a weekend. And I ignored it. And I, I called him back on Monday morning and just said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't have my phone with me. And he sounded a bit put out. He sounded not angry or upset, but he just kind of sounded like really surprised that I didn't answer the phone when he called me. And I asked one of my Korean colleagues, I says, you know, he, he called me on Saturday, I didn't answer the phone. Oh, you didn't answer the phone? And I was going, uh, yeah. And, but what actually happened was I accidentally trained my chairman of our company, then my big, 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 big boss, and just simply by a pure accident and ignorance. But he never called me on a weekend again. He, if he needed me, he'd call me on a Friday or he'd call me on a Monday, but he would never call me on a weekend again. He kind of got the message. I wasn't going to answer the phone on a weekend. Um, yeah. he's, since then, he's become my Korean father. And he's a really, really good friend of mine. I don't work with his company anymore. But, um, but we often talk about that. And he said, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. Um, yeah. But one of the things I learned from that was you can train your superiors to your way of working as long as you are getting the results. Obviously, if you don't get the results, you're not going to get, they're not going to accept your way of working. But it, it's true, yeah. you can train your boss uh, and your superiors. Yeah. Exactly. And this, again, it all comes back to these sort of these defaults. And like the yeah. default in today's world is everyone's always online, they're always reachable. Um, everything can happen just like this. And, and you know, to, to, have, to have that sort of moment where you say, actually, you know, I don't, I'm not going to pick up my phone um, on the weekend. And if you call and if it's a huge emergency, then, you know, then maybe you just text me, Hey, I really need to talk to you. And you go, okay, fine. Like you can, you can change some of these, these behaviors. But I think we kind of, we just all kind of, there's the environments that we live in shape us in such profound ways. And, you know, the managers, you know, that, that we train, it's, it's the same thing as they, they feel the pressure from their manager. And, and so they kind of, they pass on this sort of behaviors, but I think you're right. It's um, when you when you start to see the results of working in a different way, then well, that's what I saw at Google. I wasn't teaching or training or sharing anyway. I just got great results. And then I had my teammates asking me, wait, what are you doing? Because <laughs> you don't seem like stressed and frazzled. <laughs> you actually seem to be getting a lot done. You seem like you're you seem like you're doing quite well. Uh, and, and, and then people are asking. So oftentimes, you know, I I do encourage people too. it's like it's better to kind of, you know, uh, you know, walk the walk uh, and show people. And, and then that conversation becomes much more open. And, and also it's like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like you can, you can just agree with your team. Like let's have, let's protect one hour. If it's, if it's crazy 24 seven, let's just protect one hour a day mm -hmm. where together we agree that we can step away from it. Um, you can do that and have tremendous results. And then the rest of the day, you can be back in the hyperactive hive mind on Slack and mm. in meetings and whatever. So it's it's not an all or nothing. I think for some people, it feels so, they think, oh, I'll never be able to reach you. or I'll never be able to interrupt you. And you say, oh, no, it's okay. Like, let's find let's find what works. And mm. yeah, certain cultures, it's a different, it's a different story. Mm. I mean, one of the things I, I, I found is really helpful, and I, I, I kind of teach this to people, is narrow down your communication channels. 
Like you're not going to be able to get rid of all your communication channels, but it's so easy. Like when I've spoken at conferences, they say, can, this is our WhatsApp. Can you be on WhatsApp so we can communicate with you? And then I've got people saying, can you, I think it's Telegram. Can you, can you be on Telegram so we can communicate with you? And then I've got, obviously in Korea, we have something called Kakao Talk, which is their version of WhatsApp. Uh, we've, I mean, it's so easy to fill up your phone with these messaging apps. And one trick I've always found helpful is after the conference, I immediately delete the app because I don't want to know if somebody's trying to contact me on WhatsApp or or Kakao. Well, actually, I have to have Kakao talk. It's it's <laughs> it's the life in Korea. But um, WhatsApp is not there. You know, my MS Facebook Messenger is not there. I mean, I just don't have those messaging apps on no. my phone. I direct people towards email because that is something I have a process for, and I it works and it's it just it's stress free. But I think I would always tell people is wherever possible, just narrow down your communication channels. If somebody really wants to get in touch with you, they will find a way. Yes. You don't have to be available on all the messaging apps. <laughs> exactly. I, I think sometimes as well, like when we're, you know, I was, I was with a, a team in Paris um, doing some work and I said, it was like, you know, you look outside and you look at, at some of the, the monuments and the beautiful buildings and the Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe. These things were built before there was WhatsApp before there was email. So people, I think people get spirit, we're like, oh my God, like if, if people aren't responding right away to everything, nothing's going to get done. And I, I was like, we've, as a, as a species, we've accomplished quite a lot before all of these things have, have sort of erupted into our lives. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not to say like, I use, I use most of these apps that you talk about in some form or another, they give you tremendous benefits. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, and I think this is what we're, we always um, talk about, especially in, in sort of the, in the world of make time is like, Try to figure out like what do you want from this tool? What do you want from this technology? And it's like I'm, you know, you're living abroad. My I am as well here in Portugal, and mm -hmm. the ability to pick up my phone and to FaceTime and to see my grandparents, my parents, my nephews, my niece. I mean, that is that is an absolute superpower. So yeah. like, I don't want to I don't want to trade that away. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you can open up your phone and you can go to the news or you can open up social media, and then all of a sudden you're just confronted with just like so much a barrage of information that can be quite addicting and you can lose a lot of time to it. And it's like, well, maybe I don't want that part of it. Um, and so coming into this sort of more intentional relationship, and it's not easy because things are, things are changing fast. And, you know, when I started doing this, this type of work, very, very, very few teams were using like, you know, a, a real time messaging platform in their day to day. Most companies were primarily email meetings. Uh, and so it's before they made the big mistake. Yeah, now well, now it's now it's the reality, and it's like you know most, the modern modern companies I work with are deep on Slack. Um, that presents a lot of challenges, but also great opportunities. Um, and then you know a lot of the companies I know, especially what happened, I think, is people they moved in the pandemic to uh, you know they took their old way of working and they just transplanted it um, into sort of a virtual hybrid form. And the yeah the challenges I see with you know with organizations with Slack or with Microsoft Teams or, or Google Chat. People feel so overwhelmed by it all, right? And I think you're right. It's like you gotta uh, you gotta sit down and think, okay, with your team or just for yourself, like what are the channels that I really want to use? How am I going to use those? And honestly, a lot. If, if most teams never have the conversation, so there's just so it's just kind of an informal, and everyone has their own approach. And so it's like someone I hear it all the time. It's like you know I got an email, I didn't reply to it because I was in a meeting, and then I got three chat messages, and then my phone was buzzing, and you know you're like. You know, people like the boundaries are so blurred between all of these. And it's like, okay, what's sort of the protocol or how do we communicate? And you don't need to spend that much time up front mm. to agree. And I think it's like when you're working on a project, you're going to an event, you can sit down and say, all right, what are what are the rules of the road? Like, how do we communicate? Mm. If people, people don't do that, it's a mistake because then 
then it becomes just this jumble and it's very overwhelming instead of saying, all right, like let's, let's agree. Let's think about, and also just to share boundaries, because for me, I don't care. Um, personally, if, if people that I'm working with, uh, you know, try to get in touch with me on, on, on a weekend, if they try to call me, because they, it's up to me. So like, mm -hmm. you give me a call, you can send me emails. I don't care. You know, I don't, I work very non-traditional hours. I work for myself. So I move in and out of work in my life in a more fluid way. Mm -hmm. Um, but for some people, they might say, look, like I'm nine to nine to five, nine to six. And like, I really, I'm, it's blank and no from the office and like, and having those conversations and setting boundaries is like, it's, it's, it's difficult work, but it's, it's really worthwhile. And, um, the ROI, the return on investment is great if you spend some time up front doing it. Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the, the initial step to becoming a little bit more intentional about how you're messaging and how you're communicating, there is a fear involved. It's actually is, will be connected to the fear of missing out, but it's yes. still the fear that people are, they don't give it long enough, I think. I, I think you've got to give it at least a month where you stick to the, as you mentioned, protocols that you follow. And people will start to respect your, I find people will respect your time way yeah. much more if you set some, I, call, I just call them my personal rules. Um, you know, I don't, I personally, I do clear my inbox every morning, uh, email because, you know, meetings may have been canceled. There might actually be a real emergency. And I don't want my brain to be thinking, you know, there's something there. I don't want that kind <laughs> of distraction. So I just want to clear it. I never do email. I just clear it. And then yeah. at around about 4.30 in the afternoon, I'll sit down and give myself an hour to deal with communications. So I've got this 24-hour rule. I respond to email within 24 hours. It's stress-free. I, I just never feel stressed. It's, you know, 4.30, I'm, you know, creatively wise, I'm not there. You know, it's yeah. gone. I've used it all up in the morning. Now I can just deal with questions and deals with the basics of, of emails and messages and then just go and have dinner. And it just, it just works. But when I first started doing it, yeah. I was really scared. I had that fear. Somebody's going to be upset. Somebody's going to get angry. But the thing is, nobody ever did. And I still blows my mind that you know, I might respond to somebody 20 hours after they sent me an email, for example, they say, thank you for your quick reply. And that wasn't quick. <laughs> so, I mean, the state of email out there must be really bad um, if, yeah, yeah. if you're getting that kind of response. So, yeah, it, setting boundaries, I think, is, is and, and some protocols is, is a really good yeah. way. But it, it's scary. I, I know it's scary. Yeah, I people. think it's awesome. It's often like, like you said too, uh, you know, you said, yeah, just, just having, having some rules, but I always think that, you know, it's like when you go to a, uh, a, a party and like, you know, maybe your friends invited you, you don't know everybody. So you sort of show up to this, you show up to the party, you walk, you, you know, you're walking by the, 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 the whoever's hosting and you come in the, there's a lot of people they are walking around and you get, the, I, for me, at least I sometimes you have that, I have that fear where I'm like, oh my God, people know I don't belong or that I'm not like, maybe they know that I don't know anybody here. And you kind of have this, this feeling. And then you realize actually most people are so self-absorbed and just so in their own world that they don't, they're not paying attention to you in the slightest. <laughs> and I think that same sort of idea applies with sort of our, our email rules or communication rules. It's like, generally speaking, most people are just kind of going through their day doing a million different things. Mm. And you think that, oh my God, if I, if I do this a bit differently, if I change my way that like everyone else is going to like really care or get upset. But often if you just sort of explain it or you just give people a valid reason, um, you know, scheduling, scheduling the highlights So we, we talk about this all the time, especially in big corporate, you know, uh, contexts where the days are filled. And we say, look, give your split book an hour for yourself. And then, like you said earlier, the manager goes, they try to, you know, interrupt you or they try to, or another team tries to schedule. And I just tell people just try mm -hmm. to write back and say, Carl, thanks for including me on in this meeting. Unfortunately, I have plans nine to 10. Can we do it later in the afternoon? I see we're all available at two. 
or can we can we move it tomorrow? Or hey, actually, I, I'm not sure I need it in this meeting. But if you if you just tell people, hey, I, I'm doing something else at this time. I actually already have some plans. Can we can we can we change this? Mm-hmm. My experience is nine out of ten times people are just like sure. Mm-hmm. And you have this it's, this, it's this fear, right? You feel like, oh my God, like if I say I can't do this, or if I, if I decline it, people are going to be freaking out. They're going to be thinking I'm not doing my job. But most of the time, people are just so busy in their own world. They're not even looking at your calendar. So they didn't see that you have an important work block. They mm-hmm. scheduled a meeting and then, you, and then they, you, they, they kind of go back to their day. So often like, you know, we create these sort of boogeymen in our, in our minds of, of how difficult it will be. And you're going to run into it. Sometimes you're going to run okay. into the, the angry manager or the colleague who's, pissed off that you didn't reply in an hour that that'll happen. But I think it's, it's honestly outliers. Most of the time you can kind of set your own rules. Um, and but I've yeah. seen, actually one of the interesting, one of the best email responses, an email signature actually that I, I think I got maybe a couple of months ago. Uh, I'm proud to say it was one of my clients as well. So I'm really proud of him for doing this. But what he did was at the bottom of his email, he says, I respond to email in 24 hours. If you need me before that, uh, you can text me. I'll respond within four hours. And if it really is an emergency, you can call me. I thought, yeah. that's good, because <laughs> every time he sends that email out, he's reinforcing his rules to the people he's communicating with. And yeah. as I mentioned, people are amazing. They will respect your time, but they won't respect your time if you don't respect your time. And yeah. so if you tell people what your rules are, your protocols are, it's amazing what actually happens. Um, yeah. Because people will follow your lead. And yeah. it's, as I say, I was really proud of him for writing that. I thought, <laughs> oh, I, might, I might steal that idea. <laughs> Yeah, um, I have something similar that I, I stole from somebody else in my in my email. That's that's basically the bottom. It says something like, um, I I usually take two days to to read and and two days to reply. And and I I, I write that. I tell people, look, I'm actually working against the culture of immediacy mm-hmm. and like how it how it fractures my sense of time. So I, I put that in the bottom and I say, I don't have a specific thing, but I let people know, look, it might take me two, might might take, might take me four days to reply to email. This is my my personal, you know. Of course, with some with some of the clients I'm working with, you know, I might just get an email and I say, "Oh, it's important." I, you know, I, I'll, I'll reply same day, same hour, um, and it. But but I think also just sharing that. And I've had quite a few people um, ask me to, to to steal that as a share. I actually just I, I borrowed it from somebody else, and I think <laughs> I think this is really um, it, it's really great. And I think you know people have to have to find their own their own rhythms. And some you know some jobs, it's you know you and I are in, in more creative endeavors and, and, you know, we're both writing and we're both, um, you know, probably doing a lot of thinking and reading and creating, you know, we need that. Um, but of course, some people might be listening to this and they're a salesperson and, or, you know, there's someone that's doing something that's very external facing and, you know, they're, they might have a different need, you know, they're the need of a, someone that's doing, you know, selling real estate is, you know, they might need to check their email on the hour, every hour, because it's about pace and, and, and quickness. And, um, I think that that's okay too. Right. So it's, it's creating your own protocols and rules exactly. so that they work for for your situation. That's that's the important yeah. thing. Actually, you mentioned I, I think I saw you you mentioned in a video I saw of you. It was you talk about the one thing. Yeah. Um, what does that actually mean? The, the one thing. Yeah. I think you briefly you briefly mentioned it as we've been talking. Yeah. So I um, I, I've alluded to it a few times, but I um, one of the frameworks that has has really inspired me and and, and honestly changed my life and that I, I feel really honored to teach is this. Uh, make time based off a book on the same name. And, and we teach courses and workshops based off of this. And the idea, the core idea of make time is this idea of a highlight. The highlight, the highlight is essentially like one big thing that you protect and prioritize in your day. Mm. And this has been transformative to me because going back to my story that I shared at the beginning, I used to feel like I had to do a hundred different things in a day. And I was just like, 
constantly just reacting to the world around me. You know, my to-do lists was, you know, I was a mile long. And I felt like at the end of those days, when I was just kind of getting through as much as I could, this sort of busy work, this administrative work, I just didn't feel that great. It's just like, okay, you might, you, might do, you might do a lot of stuff, but like, you just, you're like, did I really kind of spend that time well? And I think this is where the difference between being sort of efficient and being effective comes into play. Because you can be really efficient. And honestly, I think that's where people, and, and, and I used to also get in this trap of productivity, because productivity kind of denotes this feeling of efficiency. And it comes, you know, that word really comes from the sort of industrial era, era mindset where it's like, you're in the factory. It's like, how efficient can you produce widgets? And I think there's a time and a place for efficiency and productivity, but what I'm more interested in and what comes back to the idea of one big thing is, is more about being effective. And it's maybe less about doing a hundred things that don't really matter, but putting your attention and your focus on one thing that is, is, is going to, you know, make a difference for you. And mm -hmm. that can, that can be totally different depending on, on your personal context. And I think that's, it's, it's a very personal process of deciding like what would, what at the end of the day is the question that we ask people say, sitting down tonight, and I look back on my day, what do I want to be the bright spot? And it might be, you know, I want to just, I want to just get, you know, you know 500 words of the first, you know, chapter of my new book, if you're, if you're writing it, right. Mm -hmm. It might be, you know, I actually want to spend my, my energy and effort today planning some big family trip that I'm taking later this year. And that would leave me feeling good. Mm -hmm. But I think focusing yourself in and having, you know, the intention and the purpose of one thing is, is amazing because at the end of the day, if everything else goes to shit, mm. if you do have that thing that you really invested your energy and attention into, it feels, it feels really good. And if you just apply that day after day, you know, whether it's a professional project, something in your work, in your career, and you're like, every day, I'm just going to do, I'm going to put an hour, 90 minutes towards the book, or I'm going to put an hour and 90 minutes towards, you know, this new career path I'm trying to, to work my way into this new job. Or if it's something personal, I think you can just get a, such value out of out of having that intention and focus. So a lot of people have talked about this before. There's a, another book called uh, I think you know the, the one thing by like, is, Gary is, Keller. Gary and, Keller, yeah, yeah, one, yeah, one from uh, Keller Keller Williams, The Real Estate Empire. He talks about it in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. um, make time is kind of a, it's, it's its own approach with sort of the daily highlight. Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah, I think it's a really profound idea. Is the I know how people will be thinking and saying, well, you know, every, everything that comes at me every day is important. How, how do I prioritize? How do I choose what is the one thing out of this huge list of important things? The one thing I've always said to people, hang on a minute, if everything is important, then nothing's important. You've got to, yeah. you've got to start learning. And I do, I call it the art of prioritization because it is an art. It's not a skill. It's an art that you need to learn. And to, to get better at an art, you need to practice. So it's a bit like, you know, it's a muscle that you need to develop, the art of prioritization. But how do you help people when you're when you're coaching them or teaching them to be able to identify what their one thing is going to be each day yeah i've changed you know I, I'm, I'm always looking at that question in a different light mm. for me lately what feels most alive is um is helping people sense a bit more into their intuition mm. so you know on a physiological level you know we have we really have sort of these these three brains you know we have the brain that we're familiar with but we also have, you know, tens of millions of neurons in our gut um, and millions and millions around our heart as well. Our, we have inside of us an instinct and intuition and, and, and a gut feeling that I think is actually incredibly strong. I think what I fell into the trap of, um, and I still do, is I'm an overthinker. So like I, I could spend a lot of time trying to analyze exactly with my head, well, what a bunch of these tasks is going to be the one that really sets it apart and thinking 
thinking, 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 and trying to kind of to strategize in that way. I think for some people that might be helpful. So some people, uh, you know, they might want to look and think, okay, what are the 10 things I have of these, you know, which one is going to, on a strategic or on a cognitive level, which one's going to bring the most value for the least amount of effort? And they might do something like that. For me, I'm much more into tuning in to like listening to what, what's, what's in my body. And, mm -hmm. and that might sound esoteric, but for me, it's quite simple. I, I have this time blocked every day in my calendar, but I'm not choosing my one thing weeks or months in advance. I'm usually choosing it the morning of, I, when I, after I come back, I go for a morning walk, I get some fresh sunlight and I come back and I, I might just take a minute or two. I sit down, I might close my eyes. I might even journal a little bit and I might just think, what's that thing that's calling for my attention? And if I just stop and I just listen, that thing usually arises because sometimes it's something that feels like really exciting. And there's like, there's a creative energy and it's like, Ooh, that's, that's a thing that I really want to dive into today. Mm. Sometimes there is something that is quite urgent. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that I'm a bit afraid of. I've been procrastinating on it for too mm. long and I know it's there. And I think, okay, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to that because once, if I can, if I can face that fear um, you know, that, that one thing that might be kind of, uh, you know, chirping at you in the back, then I'm going to feel in a great way at the end of the day. So for me, I like to take a more intuitive process and make time. We give people three strategies that are a bit more simple. We talk about urgency, satisfaction, and joy. Hmm. So you might make your highlights something that is urgent. And it's like, you wake up and you go, I have to file my taxes today, or, you know, this is trouble. I need to fill this, you know, my performance review for my colleague. It's deadline is today. Go ahead and make it your highlight. Don't put it off until the day's over and then you have to stay late. Just get it done. Satisfaction is like, what would leave you feeling satisfied? And I think that's a personal question, you know? And that I think that one's interesting because we can, we can, the default for most people is to only deal with what's urgent. Um, and the second question can help us think about, okay, not what's urgent, but maybe what's important to me. And then the third question too is joy. I think a lot of people, they, when it comes to productivity and time management, it's all about getting something done and like finishing something. And, uh, well, to me, there's a lot more to life than that. And so sometimes I might just ask myself, you know, this the highlight of my day. It might have nothing to do with a task or a project or anything related to my job. It might be, wow, I've got a friend in town. And like my highlight is I've cleared two hours in the afternoon to go have a long walk in a park and catch up with them. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be productive. In fact, it means I'm actually probably going to be more productive in that morning because I want to make sure that I clear the decks before I head off at, at two o'clock. So, um, it's just a practice. Like I said, you know, like you said, the same thing with setting your communication channels, it might take, you know, give yourself a month where you try to figure this stuff out. Mm -hmm. And this art of prioritization, it's, you know, it's a lifelong journey and it's thinking, it you know, that's asking yourself these questions. I like Gary Keller's question, like what's one thing I could do today that would make everything else, you know, less urgent or I wouldn't have to do it. So sometimes there's one task that if you do that, it opens up all these other things, you know, mm -hmm. or you can use that question of, I think Tim Ferriss showed that one is just like, you know, what's the thing that, what's the thing that I'm most afraid of? And like, that might, that might energize you um, or the questions I just shared about urgency, satisfaction, and joy. But I think most of us have the answer, the thing that we really, that really is calling for our attention, but we're sometimes just a bit afraid to listen to it. So I encourage people to well, I, I have, I like to think of it in terms of my non-negotiables. One of which is I have to take my dog for a walk every day. Um, <laughs> that's an hour. And it's non-negotiable because well, at 1.30 in the afternoon, he's tapping my leg saying it's walk time. So somewhere between 1.30 and 2.30, we have to go. So um, I actually, it's great because he dogs are very habitual and he he, he is. Yeah. He will just tap you. He wakes up and sort of he's tapping me and getting my attention. It's time to go for a walk. But it's a non-negotiable. But for me, it's great because he does his thing. And I, I mean, I'm either walking by the beach or I can go to the park or I can go to the mountain. I mean, all three of these things are right close to me. So we can pick and choose one. And it's I'm out in nature. So it, it's it's. 
So it doesn't matter whether I've got you know, a big project that has to be completed. Taking Louis for his walk is a non-negotiable part of the day. So I've got to figure out how much time I'm going to spend on the project because he's got to go for a walk. Uh, yeah. And I've got to do my exercise because that's another non-negotiable every day. That can vary what I do. It could be a run. It could be go upstairs into the gym. But either way, it's I still do it every day. So these sort of things are what I like to term my non-negotiables. That it doesn't. It's not micromanage the day. It's probably four hours out of twenty-four that I've got these um, these non-negotiables. Another yeah. one, actually, when it comes to work, I'd always recommend people is having a non-negotiable two-hour block somewhere in your day or. In my case, I call it my creative time, but if somebody's in sales, it could be sales prospecting time because I know from my own experience in sales, if you're doing the front end prospecting, the, the back end takes care of itself. So it's, you know, the sales will start falling into place. But so you've got to have a process. So it's part of the non-negotiable part of your day is that you need to spend X amount of time prospecting. Skip that, your sales will start falling. So it's a non-negotiable part of your day. But it doesn't mean that that's 10 hours that you have to fill your day with. Yeah, It's just... One or two things that are just non-negotiable. I call it non-negotiable, but uh, because then I can't talk my way out of it. It's not non-negotiable yeah. because of other people. It's, it's here. It's this little voice that's saying, no, you're tired. You don't need to do that today. So, no, nope, it's non-negotiable. Yeah. It's, it's playing with the mind, but I know what you can do. If you don't get a good night's sleep or or you, you ate the wrong kind of stuff and then you're <laughs> for lunch, too much carbohydrates <laughs> at lunchtime and you're going, like, um, you know, if you tell yourself it's non-negotiable, you can't start finding excuses. Yeah. Yeah, uh, hence yeah. the reason why I use that phrase. Um, yeah. Just as we come towards the end, I actually have two more questions. Are there any daily or weekly practices that you would recommend somebody to follow that would help them to rethink their uh, their understanding of productivity so that they can do, as you suggested before, which is like slow down and, and focus more on the right things? Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of things. I think um, one thing, just piggybacking off of, of off what you said is, I'd really encourage people to be proactive with scheduling breaks and some rest into their day. Um, a non-negotiable for me, I, I just can't, I can't function. And I don't think any human can function uh, for eight hours in a row um, without taking a rest. And mm -hmm. so I really encourage people to think about, okay, wh what in my day are my moments when I, my energy is a bit down and then thinking about proactively, like, what am I going to do? You, you have a great example, getting some physical movement, getting into nature, you know, having some connection, you know, an animal, maybe going with a, going on a walk with a friend. But um, I think it's really easy as our energy wanes throughout the day to then have this tunnel vision and we get stuck in this productivity and efficiency trap of trying to get through as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But if you start to proactively say, okay, I'm going to, you know, after my morning work block, I'm going to go for a quick 20 minute break, step outside in the afternoon, I'll do that. It gives you just that moment to sort of pause, reflect and think, okay, what do I want to do next? Um, and I think that, that you just have to keep asking yourself day in, day out, you know, what's, what's the next most important thing? Like, where do I want to put my energy and attention? So I think that's, that's really, really something that I, I encourage. I think the second thing is for people, you know, as, 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 as humans, we're, we're social mammals, right? We're evolved from apes, you know, homo sapien is, is actually one of the five great ape species. Uh, so we can't forget that as, as social mammals, we're wired for connection with other people mm -hmm. and, I really think it's important as people, when they want to change habits and they want to build different routines and they want to, to, to do something different than how they're living their lives today is try to link up with somebody else. You know, maybe it's a friend, you know, maybe you can hire a coach. Maybe you can just go to some of these. I go to a lot of these online co-working sessions with, uh, with Flown and there's another company called Focusmates. But, but I think getting out of this, we have this, I think 
you know, society is getting more individualistic in many ways, different in Asia, of course, than in Europe and the U.S. particularly. But I really encourage that is to sort of seek out support and um, do things with other people. If you're having trouble going to the gym, like make plans with a friend and go to the same class every week. That that's that's really strong. Mm. And the the third thing, which is, I think my 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 overarching message is just like if if you feel super busy and distracted and overwhelmed and stressed out like my firm belief is like this isn't an individual moral failing on your behalf this is an issue with a larger system that we happen to live in mm-hmm. and you know i think if you if you look in the us for example and you look at obesity rates and you start to see wow you know something like half of the country uh will, will be struggling with obesity in 20 years you got to think are half these people, you know, is this an individual like moral failing or is this a problem with the food system? Mm -hmm. Now, when you take that and you look at work and, and you look at the rate of mental health crisis, the crises that people are facing, you look at burnout, you know, two thirds of workers reporting burnout symptoms last year. I think reminding people too, that it's like, you know, we're talking a lot about individual things you can do, go for a walk, plan your focus break, change the way that you deal with your technology. These are all levers that you have an individual ability to affect. Mm-hmm. But if you're working in a company or if you're in a culture that is constantly kind of pushing and pushing and pushing and you feel tired and burnt out, it's like, give yourself a little bit of a break. So I always want to remind people of that because I used to beat myself up endlessly if I wasn't living up to the perfect focus day. And if, you know, if I felt too stressed and I got disorganized, or I couldn't deal with all the onslaught of messages, but mm-hmm. We're living in just crazy times and you know the technology we have is adapting at an exponential rate and we don't have the ability so as humans to adapt at that pace so i think if you're struggling you know take some breaks find some space for yourself link up with other people and also just remember this isn't your fault you can you can make some changes absolutely um but just recognizing the context i think is important yeah absolutely so yeah. This, this final question that we ask everybody on this show is uh, at life hack we believe that life is nothing without the time to live it what is one thing that you will regret if you're not investing enough time in it and why? I mean, your your health, um, I think for me is, is the most obvious one because uh, your ability to enjoy life and to have you know experiences with other people, to move through the world, to feel good. Um, it, you know, if you're not investing in, in your health and not taking care of that, then I think everything else suffers downstream. So as you said, for me, it's it's non-negotiable. Is doing something to move my body every day, making sure I get good sleep, trying to eat you know a, a balanced diet. Um, mm-hmm. I think these are the these are the things that at the end of you know in, in fifty years, I think I'll be much happier that I decided to go for walks during my day and, and eat healthy. I'm, I'm not going to worry so much about those extra five emails I sent during the day. So <laughs> I think you know it's, yeah. cliche, it's cliche, but I mean health is the greatest wealth because your your ability to enjoy anything in life is dependent on on that. So mm-hmm. I think that that can't be overlooked. You're right. I mean, it's, it's weird, isn't it, that we'll spend all our careers earning money so that we can enjoy our retirement, but we spend <laughs> our retirement inside hospitals. You know, it's, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, no, exercise so that you can enjoy retirement. You don't need a ton of cash to enjoy retirement, but you do need your health. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining us today, Connor. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you would like to learn more about strategies and practical skills to help you build customized skills to improve your management of time, and get the most out of your day, then take a look at our Time to Act bundle. Everything you need to design a life you want to live is all neatly bundled together in this fantastic bundle. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you in our next show.